Hello and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. My name is Tolu. I'm hosting the episode for today. Chantal, hi, good Natalie. Oh my gosh, I said I'm going to go first. I didn't know. Let me. No, I said first. I put like there's no prizes. It don't matter. Go oh, through my friends, and I don't even want to go first. That's All okay, these British pleasantries. <laughs> you go first. You go first. <laughs> hey guys, Chantal here. I'm all right, Tolls. I'm good. Good vibes. Good vibes. Nat. Hi, it's Natalie. I'm good. Thank you very much for asking. Amazing. One day we'll get through that slickly and straight. Obviously, it wasn't today, but no worries. How are you doing? Wow, guys? shady. Wow, shady. I forgot to say how I'm doing. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed. I don't know how I'm still standing. I've been walking to Jericho every day. So. Are you but doing just okay, which, which group? Which which group are you in? Are you in intermediate ladies, or advanced? ladies? Don't get excited. I'm, no, no. I'm, not, I'm not in any. Are you group. a beginner? I'm, I'm unofficially doing it, so I'm not even oh, doing the ATK. You're steps. begging it. No, it You're counts. It. it counts. It counts. You're begging it. No, Listen, you need to get in a group. The pounds, and have the pounds are slashing off. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> Everybody, as per usual, you can find us in the usual places, Twitter and Instagram at BWWPodcastUK. You can find us on LinkedIn as well, Black Women Working. Uh, you can check out our website, blackwomenworking.com, www. And you can email us at blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com. Send us your nice comments, send us your thoughts about our episodes and also... Um, some topics what you think you'd like to hear from us now that is the what do you call that the house the housekeeping housekeeping is out of the way so let's get into the meat of the episode today we are really excited to be interviewing a very special guest with um, a unique story she's been at the helm of Brixton Village since 2019 as general manager and oversees the 120 tenants that make um Brixton Village you know the diverse and vibrant place that it is I'm sure for a lot of us here even though you guys are not really South people you've obviously probably interacted with Brixton Village at some point in the course of your life and it holds um something that's very you know special to you it does for me um she is also has she's also had a massive passion for preserving and promoting that rich and social and cultural history of the market. So that's a key reason as to why we are interviewing her, sorry, today. So now guest, it's time to introduce yourself and to say hello to everybody listening. Oh, thank you so much. That was a lovely roundup and I feel very special hearing it. No, thank you so much. Yes, um, my name is Diana um, Nabagarika of Ugandan origin. Um, and yeah, you've pretty, yes, you've pretty much, yeah, you've pretty much summed up kind of, you know, what I'm about and, and what I do. But yeah, really looking forward to catching up and speaking to you all about, yeah, my last four years as the custodian there. Amazing. So now that we've introduced who you are, but could you do us a favour and let us know a little bit more detail about what exactly you do as the general manager of Brixton Village? Yeah, of course, no problem. Um, so um, as a general manager, um, I actually work on behalf of the landlord. Um, the landlord purchased uh, the two covered markets in central Brixton. So for those, for those that don't know um, Brixton and its landscape, there are five um, markets across uh, central Brixton. Two of them are covered and were grade two listed in 2010. 
Um, in 2007, the two properties were actually purchased um, and the landlord at the time um, had purchased them in a bid to sell them on to a property developer to turn them into high rise um, flats. Um, the local community did what the local community does very well in central Brixton um, and spoke out. Within six weeks, there was local protest um, and a number of petitions to try and preserve um, the, the two spaces. Um, within a matter of around nine weeks, the two buildings were grade two listed, not only because they are unique architecturally, having been built in the early 1920s, um, they were also listed for their cultural significance. So um, there are only three properties in the UK that are listed for um, for that landmark. So um, the cultural significance really is made up of the diverse um, kind of like retail mix that you see. So a Latin greengrocer, um, a Caribbean fishmonger and so forth. And I'll list them through, I'm sure, as we're catching up. So that's a little bit about kind of the makeup of the space and why it was such a, yeah, it was such an honour really to be uh, headhunted for the position. Um, I came on board in 2019, having been found by the existing landlord. Um, and the previous general manager that had been there was a... Uh, was an old Moroccan guy, um, very set in his ways. He'd been working there for about 25 years. And I guess the raison d'etre that I was given was we're about to go through a really positive evolution on this footprint. Um, and we need someone who understands the community, cares about the community um, and can yeah, deliver some of that evolution, some of that change with pride. Um, so it was a pretty big kind of task that was cast upon me. And I was very clear to say that's not what a general manager does. Um, but I would do my very best to weave that within my job description. Um, but very, very typically, um, looking safeguarding, assuming the commercial responsibility for the space. And that's basically making sure that Brixton Village is clean, it's safe, it's secure at a very basic level. Um, I work directly with a team of uh, property and service charge managers. So as you mentioned at the, at the intro there, there are 120 businesses and I am responsible for essentially their commercial acumen. First and foremost, pay your rent, because this is a commercial entity. Um, I will pull together a service charge for you each year, so I'll let you know what it costs to run this market, and you will contribute to that. And then beyond that, what can I do in my power with my team, retail manager, ops manager, security manager, to make sure that this space is run effectively so that you can then run your business effectively? Um, and so that can be anything from making sure the toilets are upgraded when they need to be. And if anyone that's been to Brixton Village will know that they hadn't been for a very, very long time. Um, so as I say, one element there, making sure that our security headcount is where it needs to be. So when people come to the village, whether it's to eat, drink or shop, they feel safe, they feel secure. Um, but then also appointing appropriate comms agencies who understand how to celebrate Brixton Village for its diversity, not as a tick list, um, but as a unique or an authentic story. Um, and celebrating everybody, not just Honest Burger and Lost in Bricks and our rooftop bar, but also <laughs> Shake, who runs the Latin American. Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but also Shake, who runs our, you know, our Latin greengrocer or First Choice Bakery, who were the first bakery in South London and have been here for 35 years. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really global role. And if you were to take my position and put it in Westfield, mm. it'd be very, very straightforward. You'd be able to kind of like list the 10 key um, responsibilities. But there's something about preserving a listed building because of its cultural significance. Um, whilst also the person that has recruited you is um, 
is here as a landlord. So let's not forget that mm-hmm. he wants to collect rent um, and he wants to add value to his property so that he can then look to sell it on in 5, 10, 15 years. How do you make sure that you're safeguarding those businesses whilst also just also kind of safeguarding his interests? So, you know, how do we make sure that actually we get, yeah, yeah, safeguarding throughout both the landlord and the traders? That's a very think- long answer. <laughs> Thank you for explaining all that and just like what the general responsibilities are. And I think it's amazing. And I really want to highlight the fact that you actually sought for this role. You didn't seek it yourself. And I think that really speaks to um, your reputation for what you were doing before that and how far it ended. Was that a surprise to you that the landlord came to you and said, you know, this is what's happening. I want you to do this. Because what it means is somebody must have been speaking about you somewhere and said she is the person that you need. Do you know, it was a it was a real humbling moment, actually. Um, at the time, I was working as general operations manager at Camden Market. So I think mm-hmm. I think they'd observed and witnessed kind of the you know, the positive evolution over at Camden Market, um, what it used to be, you know, 12, 15 years ago is kind of like punk central alternative yeah. kind of North London space um, to, I mean, it still obviously celebrates that because it's what what's founded the high traffic that, you know, takes place there. But I think visiting Camden Market now, you can certainly see it's a cleaner, safer environment. And there are, you know, there's a real hybrid of old trade, but a lot of new trade from restaurants, bars, nightclubs. Um, so I think the landlord had obviously seen that, gone to visit the space and thought, okay, who's behind the helm? What are the team that makes up this space? Um, but I think uh, having spent a lot of time with the landlord, I think they, because um, that, you know, that position, you know, exists elsewhere. You know, could have gone to Borough Market and found that same person. I think there was definitely value and we've spoken quite frankly about it. There was definitely value in um, finding somebody who was dynamic enough, i.e. from a kind of dynamic. And I say that through age without being ageist. (laughs) Um, Someone who is dynamic enough to kind of understand what New Brixton is all about, um, but just celebrate what the nighttime economy is now doing to spaces like this. Um, And also a black woman. You know, we've had very frank conversations about, you know, what does it mean to have a black young woman at the helm of this of this real estate, of this landmark mark property? Um, and that formed um, some really, at the time, when I look back on it, probably uncomfortable for them, but not me, um, conversations in my interview. Um, but yeah, it definitely was a humbling moment to know that, yeah, they were looking out for somebody, I guess, yeah, of, of my experience. But yeah, and then some. That's how nicely into the next question because for us you know what you what you do is just as important as who you are and so if you were to define yourself in 60 seconds by your core values and characteristics what would you say that those are um core values I think a core value that I've really learned to hone um or principle, shall I say, that I've really learned home in the last five years is being kind and not nice. Um, And that's something that has been pretty fundamental as I've become more senior in my position, but I've led larger teams. Um, And also I've had to sit in a room very regularly with um, non-black and brown people. Um, So saying the things that need to be heard rather than kind of nodding away and just being grateful to be in those spaces. 
Um, but also like pushing my team ahead, you know, um, I joined a team that was very woven in the way that it worked and I knew that we needed to kind of elevate some of the standards. Um, and my team are predominantly um, both at management and ground floor level um, of African descent. And so for me, it was really important to kind of let them know that as a young black woman coming to lead this space, I wasn't just going to come and say, yeah, that's no no problem. You're doing really good. I'm so pleased that we're all just black people running this market. Isn't that nice? They've given us this opportunity. It was about, okay, what do I need to do to bring people along for this ride and let them know that actually we have a big responsibility here. So being kind, not nice, I think has mm. um, been a, yeah, a personal value that I've really grown to love and do well um another personal value um my work ethic has come from my mum and so though not a workaholic I, I understand the value of working hard mm. um but my mum has always demonstrated to me kind of make it worthwhile if you're going to work your ass off like make it worthwhile and where you can make it fun so I we've kind of personal and you know that leads into work but working hard but making it worthwhile and fun I've exceeded 60 seconds, so I'll just sit with those two, I'd say, for now. <laughs> Basically, it's work hard, play hard, isn't it? And work smarter, mm. essentially. Completely, completely <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. Like, those are very good values to have. Um, So we're going to take it a little step back. So obviously, you know that you're general operations manager at Camden Market. But let's talk about a little bit about your career trajectory up to that point, because obviously the role that you do is ultimately very unique. I personally have not really heard of that role before or anybody who kind of does that role. So I think it would be really great for our listeners to understand, you know, how might someone um, fall into this pathway or this career pathway? Um, maybe they've been interested in it or they hear you speaking today and they're like, oh, that sounds like a bit of me. Like understanding kind of what your journey was, although it might not necessarily be their journey and what the pivotal skills and experiences that you picked up along the way and how that fed into you being where you are today. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess the first takeaway from kind of my my career path, um, all around just being very comfortable with pivoting and changing. Um, so I graduated in 2009 as a paediatric nurse. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, we're all about pivoting here, but that's a big If you see our faces... <laughs> Like, that's oh. like a that's like a P Diddy remix. That's like a completely yeah. different oh, song. Oh, pirouette ballerina turn! Oh my Literally. god! What? <laughs> that's not a pivot. That's not a pivot. That's, Can you explain? That's one hundred and eighty degrees flip. That's like yeah, inverse. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> so I. I um, took the path of least resistance and listened to my mum, age 17. As an African, you know, what's it, second, third generation, whatever you want to call it, I hear it. Yeah, sincerely. And, you know, having been badgered on about, all I ever wanted to do was teach. And I think that I've still got time to kind of eventually get there through in some, some way, shape or form. So all I ever wanted to do, and I was just shunned, ridiculous idea, what on earth do you think you're doing? And it was obviously the usual, we won't even list them through now. Um, with with maths not being my strong point, I was like, there's no way. I'm the, it's it's not the science. It's not you know the, the chemistries, and it's definitely not going to be math led. So yeah, least resistance. I went on to do nursing, and um, I I enjoyed it. I love children, um, but I knew it wasn't always going to be for me. So I practice as a pediatric nurse um, for a year and a half, two years. 
And then I chose not to tell my mum that I'd stopped nursing. And I, yeah, I handed my notice in and at the same time started to think about how I was going to pay rent. So I started handing CVs in for kind of junior management roles in retail because, you know, everyone takes on a part time retail role throughout university. So I was like, I've been a supervisor. I can take on a management role that will give me the salary that I need. I was really fortunate. I just met the right person in reality um, in one of the Arcadia stores as I was going through Oxford Street. Um, and they took a shine to me and I went from being a junior manager on a, on a flagship store to a senior manager. I was then taken on to do a number of kind of head office um, training uh, courses. And one thing the Arcadia group do do very well is kind of put people through training and retail foundation courses. Mm. So I was able to walk through kind of five years with the Arcadia group and walk out with a number of yeah, just just really distinguished kind of, uh, I guess, qualifications when it came to kind of project management, people management, project, um, product management, um, and took those on to start doing area manager roles. So I worked with a number of small retail boutiques as an area manager. So that propelled me into, you know, people management, people managing more effectively, um, spending more time at head offices. So working with visual merchandising team, buying teams, um, and after kind of, you know, doing a rotation of that for about three years, um, I started looking further afield and joined Wembley Park. So the Wembley Park development has the London designer outlet. There's obviously the stadium um, and uh, Wembley O2 Arena, Wembley Arena, sorry. Um, I joined the Wembley Park retail team as the senior retail strategy manager. So on top of the shopping center about 80 uh, outlet businesses there there are a number of retail spaces so a Costa coffee a gap uh, about another 15 businesses within that so I was um, the senior retail strategy manager so essentially deciding what retail um, uh, retail outlets would come and join um, placing them on turnover rent deals and sweating those turnover rent deals so that the landlord could yield kind of the the yeah the best money for his uh, square footage so just to um, break it down for people that don't don't understand turnover rents is when you charge rent based on what a tenant actually earns so the rent is a percentage of the tenant's turnover just to explain no that's yeah thank you very much Natalie definitely <laughs> sorry um... <laughs> as a real estate person this is all making sense to me and then I just had a moment that I was like oh a few people might um, not understand not. no that's completely fair um so yeah, that that was that was great. That was actually um, that was the point at which I started to realise that property and retail mm. property was kind of my bag. Um, I also saw the opportunity. Um, not many women in kind of senior retail, kind of from a property from, from a property lens, um, and it's still there's still a lot of catching up to do. Um, but yeah, I just really enjoyed kind of that that prism of the retail world that I'd been in thus far. Um, and really accidentally at this point, um, I took a little bit of time out, um, towards the end of my role to, um, look after my mum. And when I jumped back into the retail world, I saw the opportunity at Camden Market. Mm. Um, and so it took me away from kind of core property management, um, and kind of, you know, tenant deals, leasing negotiations, and it was a much more operations led position, which I'd kind of nailed back within my retail world. Um, but knew that there were still some gaps that I could, that I could kind of, you know, garner and take on. And the market's five acres. There are 580 businesses, 
um, to be at the helm as a general operations manager, I was like, I'm going to fake this to like really <laughs> nail this job. I don't care. I don't care because this is going to platform me. Um, like, you know, um, so I, I took that position on and it was a very big team. I was spoiled. Um, we were a, a 40 strong team mm. and, yeah, again, responsible for some of that evolution of the space. The landlord wanted to invest five million pounds into, you know, placemaking um, his investment. And yeah, I was responsible for being, well, I, I sat in the rooms whilst we were building together the strategy. What does the events um, strategy need to look like? You know, how do we build a stronger, more efficient cleaning and security team? Um, how do we get, how do we get 500 businesses who where 70% of them still only take cash? How do we get them to be more digital, you know, be more commercially astute? Um, yeah, that, that, that's where I was Camden market for anyone. For anyone that knows Camden Market, you'll know how frenetic and um yeah. Like, like I, I, lit I literally was there, was it a couple of weeks ago? And I hadn't been for years. And I was like, whoa, this has changed so much. Yeah. Like an insane volume of people. It usually was always busy, but now it's like an insane volume. I noticed that there'd been um a couple of new kind of establishments, like a, another little pocket that had a lot of food vendors in it. And then I walked all the way through the market itself. And just like, obviously you have all of the different food stores and stuff. And the point that you said about the cash versus, you know, taking um, card payments and things, I really appreciated that now it's just literally tap. It's not, oh, let me find the cash <laughs> in my pocket. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there seems to be a bit of a better organization of how like, traffic flows in and out of the space as yeah well. there was and yeah as, as I say like the team behind like changing that landscape and how how a customer enjoys that landscape people mm. people often assume that it's it just happens naturally but there's you know then there is a team of landscapers there's an architect team there are wayfinding agents that like it's yeah it's pretty full-on in terms of what it takes for a customer to just enjoy being in a space and stay in that space and spend within it um, so being able to learn that firsthand, again, I'm blagging it whilst, whilst, whilst I'm here, um, but being able to learn that and, you know, just really learn from all of the, yeah, the leaders and the experts within within that larger team was, yeah, has really kind of shaped, yeah, a great experience and has shaped now what I do over at, at Brixton Village. So um, taking that leap to, well, as I say, it wasn't a leap, it was a yank, I guess, essentially. Um, very, very comfortable at Camden Market. You know, I was really proud of the changes that I was seeing and felt really supported by the team that I had and was able to have because of the mm. pace of growth. Um, when I was then approached about Brixton Village, knew Brixton Village intimately um, as a, as not actually historically a South London girl. I was, I, I grew up in Crawley. Okay. Um, so outside of so where can we say I often say Brighton for people to place to place it but kind of way way south M25 um, but I um, every weekend we'd be traveling to, to Brixton Village um, to yeah. get produce meat fish that's so good. I knew it yeah exactly exactly that's, that's good experience. I think do you know what as you're speaking it's funny you're literally the irony is is in your within the perfect crowd because we have Natalie who's a real estate lawyer we have me who literally pivots every five seconds what kind of role I'm in <laughs> and then we have Shan who's been a teacher for over a decade and recently pivoted 
pivoted sorry to a new career path so all of us kind of have a touch of experience in your whole combined experience which is crazy this is true um the spaces that you've been in in terms of the fabric of London and you know I know Camden Market intimately Brixton also and I want to ask you like what has been some of your either you can go either end challenges or winning tactics when it comes to change management because in leadership um especially when you're dealing with such diverse communities Mm. um, and various stakeholders because you've got your retailers and you've got your consumers and just the general community who these spaces are really important for um Mm. How easy has it been to implement some of these changes that you've spoken about, you know, getting people to digitalize or managing the expectations of architects in terms of, you know, gentrification versus honoring the community? Yeah, that's a, you know, I, I speak, I speak to this and about this and consider this and like journal this part of my role, like very regularly. Um, because it really hasn't been straightforward. But one thing I've learned certainly post pandemic is around creating a third space for the community. But I'll jump into that. I'll jump into that in a moment, talking more closely related to my role, kind of the key stakeholders, the traders and the landlord. Um, so how do you evolve a space? And yeah, how, how do you work on, on that whilst also protecting and looking after those businesses? Now, For me, it was being armed with as much of the information as possible. Um, I began my position at Brixton and I was kind of given kind of three to six month trajectories at each juncture, which wasn't useful at all um, because I'd almost, I'd, I'd be able to understand what the master plan was for say six months and communicate that to businesses and talk them through how they can come along for that journey and give them real tangible um, kind of, you know, access points, whether it was there's some funding here that's available for this, there's some training here that's available for this. I'm on the business improvement district forum. And so I can give you access to these people who can give you some mentorship, et cetera, et cetera. And then after six months, I then get given a new raft of kind of, you know, um, a development that was taking place that would then either counter the support that I'd given them or it um, would further disrupt those businesses so it got to a point where I said I want to know what the five-year master plan is because I want to know if in 20 years time this trader actually isn't going to be in this location I want to know if in nine months time actually you're going to disrupt this part of the market and it's going to cause for business to be lost or traders to decide to move on so being more informed would mean that I'd be able to then cherry pick has meant that I've been able to then cherry pick and re-communicate that master plan out to traders and actually to the local community. I never shy away from giving people um, information that I feel will help to place them um, and help them to see that they can too, they too can be and will be part of the change. So yeah, over communicating and then listening to the feedback. Um, so this is what's going to happen. Um, we are going to... Um, refurbish the toilets and we are going to um, uh, amalgamate these businesses these locations so that actually you have a smaller footprint to trade on um, but your your rent you know doesn't won't won't be increasing within the next five years you know pretty seismic shift so what what how can you communicate that to businesses so that they can see that this is a positive change for them 
Um, and as I say, it's not been straightforward because sometimes the the answer that you're giving them or the feedback that you're giving them or the news that you're giving them isn't going to be positive. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's it's I'm, I'm still navigating through that. Um, but providing people with as much information as possible through that change um, often helps in kind of mitigating some of that disruption. And I talk about disruption because a lot of the changes that's taken place in the village at the moment are very ops led. So we are kind of, you know, changing unit sizes. We are ripping up floors. We are changing toilets. We are, you know, so they're very, they're noisy and they're disruptive. So in, in a time where trade is at a standstill or in soft decline um, for some of the businesses, any disruption is kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's impactful in a big way. Um, but I think that thus far is how I've been managing kind of traders and, and that change there. Local community feel very protective of um, the Brixton businesses, rightly so. And so for them, again, it's about feeding them with um, as much information of that change, but also allowing them to challenge and allowing them to provide feedback and um, when they feel that they when they feel that they understand they're a lot less likely to kind of turn five from two plus two um so again just again over over communicating to them and offering them a third space to come and feel invited back into Brixton Village there are many people that I speak to kind of particularly old Brixton um who walk through and you'll hear the commentary and they feel very comfortable talking to me um and you'll hear the commentary of Brixton Village has changed. It doesn't feel for us. There's nowhere for us to go. The restaurants are now too expensive. Mm. Um, and so part of the part of the budget that I'm afforded to run and drive events and activities and community-led um, you know, activations is fed straight back into those communities. So it will be running events that don't require a transactional, um, a tra- that, that, that aren't transactional. So 90% of the events that take place in Brixton Village are free. Um, we are driving those third space kind of events whereby, you know, I'm, I'm not going to this venue to go and spend money or to work at or to go and sleep at. I'm just going here to be. Um, and those those spaces and events have become really, really important. Um, we've found, an, I've, I found a number of community groups within central Brixton um, through a lot of... Yeah, just asking people going to the BCA and you know speaking mm. to them about existing groups that um, that they have worked with and funded historically going to the local authority and doing likewise going to local states summer Layton Railton and you know and asking what the neighborhood groups are there um, and offering them space in kind to put on events and programs within the footprint and I think when people feel that they that they are part of the space and can kind of um, influence what takes place in that space Space, they you know, have more trust in what the landlord is doing and how they are kind of working through that development. So, so yeah. It's... Sorry, continue. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I don't know. Please go for it, Tully. So in that um section, you've kind of spoken to how you foster the good relationship between the local community and obviously the business owners within the village. I'm wondering, are there kind of any specifically big 
or kind of serious challenges that you've had whilst being general manager and kind of maybe even sort of what you were speaking to me before the podcast. It doesn't have to be that particular example, but something like that, which has been really significant, which has required a lot of effort, which has required a lot of work and maybe has not been such a nice thing to go through. And how have you kind of managed that personally within yourself, but also operationally and from the standpoint of, you know, we need to come out with um, a good solution. Otherwise, potentially, this could rock the whole thing entirely. Yeah. Um, what are the business acumen gaps for our businesses? Because it's one thing to say gentrification, gentrification, but actually... Where, what are the missing elements that can assist these businesses to become the best part of what they need to become? Because people, like you say, people come to Brixton for the black, for the culture, for the black and brown culture. So if that is the case, there is no reason why Fish Wings and Tings can't be the most successful business in Brixton Village. Absolutely. There is no reason why Sarava, you know, the, the Brazilian couple who sell the crepes can't be the most successful business in Brixton Village. Like it's a global neighbourhood and so it should be celebrated and is celebrated in that way. But you're right, there is the introduction of a number of non-black and brown businesses within that footprint and it's not exclusive to Brixton. But I think that for me... My plan is and continues to be, how do we create, you know, a, a clear path for our businesses to continue to succeed in spite of the change that exists around them? Having a, pay, having a, a card machine is vital. Trading mm. longer hours mm. is vital. It's vital. Having yeah. a social and digital presence is now vital. It's not mm -hmm. a nice to have them because the non-brown businesses are having it, we shouldn't have it like they're, they're they are becoming essential toolkits to driving your business there of course mm. will still be the first gen who will come and visit you and buy your fish and planting because they've done that for years and will continue to do so but that generation is dwindling and that generation yep, is moving absolutely. further and further afield even out of London mm -hmm. so I think understanding that that was my challenge and starting to work with training groups and pulling together funding for those particularly 27 businesses I think I would actually say from like personal experience as someone who goes to Brixton quite regularly you know and having come in just before pandemic which was like a pivotal life thing in just like the history of the entire universe what you've managed to do in that time is actually quite fantastic you know and I feel like one lesson or a couple of the key lessons that's come out from what you've been saying is actually having some of the key people skills that you need to have in this kind of role is perseverance. It's being able to have, I would call it a kind of wisdom. There might be another or better word to use, maybe being astute because you have to be astute to be able to be in a situation like that. So those are some of the key skills that I can identify that you need to have in this role. It's like passion for the people, that willingness to engage with the community. It's being wise in how you approach things. It's also having pe perseverance, not giving up when the road gets tough. But what would you also say are some of the key skills that you have to have in this kind of role? I think you've captured like so many of them. And often when you are placed in your position, you, you stop appreciating them yourself. Um, particularly, you know, having eight months pre-pandemic and then really the recovery programme is continuing. You know, you start to feel like this reactive kind of, you know, manager. Um, but something throughout that and something that I guess I've taken on from all of my roles is about really nailing upward management. You know, like, like 
influencing influencing upwards is so 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 vital um and taking like really really harnessing your position in that room um and letting your voice be heard so um particularly in a space that operates so sensitively um as brixton and brixton village um there is real value in being a black woman and saying something that nobody else can relate to and that being taken seriously um i felt it most palpably um at brixton but it continued through it's continued through in all of my positions like never underestimating that kind of that skill set but really really nailing it um so i think that is kind of a a key yeah that that that's probably the the one that I'd add onto the list that you that you gave I love the fact that you said that and it's because it's a topic that we speak about often on the podcast in terms of imposter syndrome and how much that impacts us as black women and just I can see from what you've said there like how you kind of overcome the challenges of that and it's it's something that you cannot nobody's going to teach you how to overcome it you have mm. to find the will within yourself to be like, actually, my USP is the fact that I'm a black woman and I mm. have a unique perspective to offer. That yeah. shouldn't work against me. It should work for me. And I love the fact that in your role, that's clearly what it's done. And it's also been respected. So I think it's a boost to our listeners. You know, when you kind of are feeling in that place of, oh, should they listen to me or were they going to listen to me? Just go ahead and do it anyway. If they don't, it's fine, but at least you tried. And it's because so many of us, we're we're impacted by a lot of outward influences, a lot of outward voices, but actually the only ones that need to believe in us are us first of all, and then everybody else will jump on board the same train. So I love the fact that you highlighted that particular um, skill. So to kind of round this all up now, what advice would you give to anyone considering this kind of career path? Obviously not exactly that your your journey has been quite, you know, um it's been a lot of kind of different roles, but if someone wants to kind of get into this kind of role, what would you recommend to them? Are there any kind of mentorship programs, training programs that people should take which would elevate them in such a sense? Yeah, um so I think given how potted my um, my career path has been, I think it's the, the takeaway is just allowing your transferable skills. And if there are transferable skills of people, product, space management, they are of value if you want to move yourself into uh, property management. Uh, the, technical, the technical knowledge of property management can be learned, um, but there's, yeah, there's real value in kind of just understanding a space people or products so whether it's been in retail or hospitality um that can kind of work its way through um understanding that diversity in property management it's a lot of catching up to do um and so you know there are venues in the heart of diverse cities screaming out for that diverse mindset background and thus experiences um because all of those are now starting to guide place making strategies you know, 180 and the Strand, you know, there are several venues currently in Tottenham um, Tottenham Court that are kind of pulling on um, creative directors. So whether it's the Aquasi mm. Brea Mensas or, you know, Zazie Aforis, there are many people that are doing those creative directorship roles um, from, yeah, from, from having experience and immersing themselves in black and brown cultures. So mm. the diversity in property management has a long way to go, but it's actively looking for ways to, yeah, create more interesting culture-led placemaking um, uh, landmarks. So, yeah, for me, I'd say, you know, 
if you feel that you have those sorts of transferable skills in yeah managing um um at a yeah at kind of like a, a good senior level all of that can be handed over into property management i've not yet found um exclusively kind of the, the a mentorship um group um or training courses for um yeah I, i've not yet found any so haven't yet onboarded myself onto um, that might actually be something I asked Natalie to help me with. Yeah, I was going to say I should, you should be, join Black Women in Real Estate because there's quite a few property managers, development managers. Um, I think the creative brands and businesses where their focus is on creative input and some retail, not all retail um, outlets are specifically looking for people with a similar background to you and kind of similar creative backgrounds in order to kind of re I would see reposition retail and the way that it's used and to reposition property as a whole and the way that it is consumed and designed Mm -hmm. Um, but there is still a long 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 way to go and I think there is still a dearth of property managers even from not just as black women but even from an ethnic minority working class background because I think the biggest issue with some of these projects and this is why it's so nice to talk to a black woman who is managing Brixton Village is that there has been like a kind of ignorance and I still see it when I talk to a few clients about oh we're just going to get the local community out or we're just going to kind of disenfranchise local groups so to see a landlord that has embraced the idea of actually working in partnership with the community that is property is part of and to see how passionate you are about protecting and elevating black and brown owned businesses it's just really refreshing for me to see that talking to a property professional because I've never in my whole entire 10-year career ever come across anyone um, with that type of approach so it's actually really nice to to meet you and hopefully I can just you know keep you in the black women in real estate loop so you can meet other people who might be able to give you that support that's really really kind didn't even know that that existed and that's like music to my ears Um, I'll hook you up girl thanks girl (laughs) um no sincerely yeah it it means a lot and there's just bricks yeah Brixton can't allow for it in any like it it won't allow for it to be handled in any other way um and I'm still sat thinking about Chantel's question about kind of you know navigating change um (laughs) within (laughs) with the different stakeholders Mm. and I, I, I'm very aware that I'm still learning it myself. Um, and so I, yeah, I think just knowing that there are groups that I can kind of lean into and just ask the questions that I know I can't ask other peers within my team, um, yeah, or seniors exactly. within my team, I think is vital because I need I that think, space. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the whole point. And one thing about just the property industry in general I feel is that everyone is actually figuring it out as they go on even the most experienced people mm. so um you shouldn't feel pressure like to to know because you are changing the master plan is changing the market is consistently changing the planning permission that probably operates around Brixton is and the master plan as you say is probably being tweaked here there and everywhere so it's mm-hmm. it's it's a moving feat especially as we go into this next cycle where we don't know if there's going to be a recession interest rates have gone crazy cost of living there's always going to be like the goalposts are never going to be set for the type of role that you do they will Mm. always 
move because you're so many external macro and micro economic factors that are going to impact your role so um mm. it makes it dynamic but also must make it really stressful sincerely you think you've nailed a formula and then it just it flips and then the o2 academy closes for six months yeah um, exactly yeah. <laughs> and that's completely out of your hands and it's nothing to do with you but now it's infecting your vendors oh, yeah, and you course. still need to get them to pay rent and if you have a lender you still need to service the like like it's just exactly. crazy so exactly. um, don't worry don't worry we'll talk offline we'll talk offline <laughs> really appreciate oh, that really appreciate gosh. that it's gone so quickly, but unfortunately, we've come to the end of the episode today. But obviously, before we go, I'm going to give you a chance to let the listeners know where they can find you, what kind of initiatives are popping up in the village um, soon or anything, basically, that you want anybody to know. I've learned so much from you today. Actually, I've really enjoyed this episode and it's it's just contextualised some of the changes that I've seen in Brixton Village because there was a point where I was like, oh, my God, this thing's going to die, you know, but... <laughs> I've seen it kind of almost come back to life from the point of like a coma. And I appreciate you for all the effort and the work that you put into that. So let the people know where they can find you and what you're running in the community as well. Oh, Tolu, that means a lot. Thank you so much. It's, um, yeah, we, we try, we move and, you know, this is, the village will outlive all of us. And so as long as I can leave a useful legacy for my name and the and Brixton Village for the time that I'm there, I'm doing an okay job. Um, Brixton Village is up to lots and is always up to lots. BrixtonVillage.com to find out about um, the retail mix that we have there. Sat there on a landscape, you're able to see very quickly kind of what makes Brixton Village breathe. So you're always able to see kind of that that rich mix of different produce, food and drink shop. Um, our events um, live and breathe on our Instagram page, so brixton.village. So that's me kind of celebrating kind of the footprint, the product that is Brixton Village. So check us out on website and on Instagram. Um, we also now have a TikTok, which I'm still navigating myself, but I leave that to the comms agency. Um, and then on a personal level, um, most probably it's, um, uh, can find me on my LinkedIn. So Diana Navigerica recently married but it will be remaining as Navigarica. um <laughs> yeah so I I highlight my accolades on there and I'm compatible there awesome amazing thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a little bit of the story of how you became general manager and all the points up to that and letting us know what input you put into the village and so on and so forth. Um, for our listeners, um, we hope that you've really enjoyed this episode. Obviously, you can always contact us on our usual channels. Twitter and Instagram is at BWWPodcastUK. We're also on LinkedIn as well. Black Women Working, just search us and you'll find us. You can email us, UK at gmail.com and you can check out our website as well, www.blackwomenworking.com and as always tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to get the word out I've done enough <laughs> tell a friends there but that's the way we say it no so, you could have done one more <laughs> no that's not that's not um, our process I, I think it's three and I did four so <laughs> with all of that being said thank you for joining us this episode and until the next one that is goodbye from all of us bye